What's going on, folks? Um, so I wanted to come on here and record this, um, and I'm probably going to put this at the beginning of quite a few episodes here coming up. Um, a comrade of mine uh, is going through some hard times with their landlord. Um, they have been told uh, due to their own homelessness struggle and lack of a job, which has you know not allowed them to pay rent, uh, they've been told by their landlord that they have a few options if they want to continue having a home uh, to live in with themselves, their spouse, and their children. Um, they've been told that they either need to A, raise a lump sum of $5,000 and all the back rent will be forgiven, which is ridiculous. And you know, someone in this position cannot come up with that money in this, you know, kind of fashion, or the landlord is going to raise their rent from 800 to 1250. Um, they obviously already could not afford 800. So charging them 450 more dollars a month will not make more money appear in their pocket. Um, so I am coming on here to ask for some help. Um, one of their friends was so kind as to set up a GoFundMe for them. Or uh, So I would like to ask you folks to go ahead and, you know, I usually get about 30 listeners in episode. If we could each give $5, that's about a certain amount of money. <laughs> wow, my math just went out the door. Um... Yeah, if we each gave $5, that's $150 towards, you know, their their money. And that would be incredible because they're picking up some extra shifts. They're trying to do something to make this money, but it's just not going to be there all by themselves. So anything that you can do to dedicate and help these folks out, they already have $500 um, raised. Uh, but the, the GoFundMe is titled help the Crespo family keep their home. There's an adorable picture of uh, my comrade uh, and their family. Um, uh, so I will link that in every single one of my episodes coming up. If you folks felt as willing uh, to share that as well, if you can't donate that money, that would also be incredible. You know, this is a group of people who need a home just as many of us are struggling to you know keep ours we should remember that there are many of us who who need help and if there's any way that we can help each other we should be doing that um so thank you uh again if you can't give i completely understand but this is a comrade in need so i figured i'd use what little influence i had here uh to try to lift that up so if you can please donate that would be um, incredible or share. Um, but yeah, thank you very much. Hey, hey, hey folks, how we doing? Uh, welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is educating about and working towards a true people's liberation. And hopefully one day, a true proletarian revolution. But until we get there, um, I am your host, Josh, 
Uh, if this is your first time popping by, nice to meet you. Hope you enjoy the show. Uh, just off the top, uh, my apologies about um, the background noise. I am currently driving to work. Um, but if this is you coming back, that means that you've probably had to deal with that and you're okay with that and it's not that bad. So uh, thanks for stopping by again. Hopefully we can do another good show for you. Um, today I want to go into a little bit of a conversation about organization. Um, it is something that, you know, a lot of leftists, quote unquote, to use the broad term, um, don't have a really necessarily like a formulated strategy on. Um, and a lot of them also even don't even adhere to the idea that, you know, through organization, uh, you know, we can emancipate the working class. Um, anarchists don't believe in this, you know, they don't believe in a hierarchical structure of any kind, it leads to power, um, so, you know, they believe that because of this, um, anything resembling this hierarchical power would be leading towards, uh, more of the same, right? Now, I can't necessarily agree with that, and we're gonna get into a discussion as to why, But before I get into this, I want to just kind of give you some of my experience that I've gone through to this point in organizing to let you know that I probably have just as good of a reason as anyone to have a disinterest in, in organizing. So I am very new to organizing, very new, um... This past year, since the beginning of the pandemic, has actually really been, like, my radicalizing moment that's actually even made me, you know, want to um, get organizing or think that it's, like, a a viable and important thing to be doing. So, the reason is kind of, you know, a long, long story, but most importantly, I come from a very privileged, very Protestant white American background, uh, and I should say white United States citizen, uh, and because of that, you know, a lot of the, the problems that exist in the world were painted to me as choices made by these people, right? Oh, well, if these folks had gone to school, and they had worked harder, and they had done A, B, C, and D that, you know, my folks did, supposedly, which is funny because... Neither of my folks went to college. My mom, uh, albeit worked, didn't have a job. Like, she had, you know, daycare in the home. And so she used to always harp on me about going to get a job. And as much as she was running the daycare at home, it always used to be such a kick in my fucking balls because I would wish that I could get a job at home. And in that moment, I'd want to, like, be mean to my mom and be like, why don't you go get a job? But looking back, I mean, I just wish that none of us had to have a job. But, you know, in their mind, go get a job, make successful, no struggle, right? Because we're white and privileged, so if I even do the bare minimum, I'll probably make it out. At least that was the case for them. Um, It's not so much the case for myself and my generation coming up. Um, Things are getting to a point where... 
you know, you got white privileged kids like me. I mean, I'm, my folks lost basically all of their money in the 2008 recession. So like they're poor as fuck. I'm poor as fuck now because I don't live with them. I work my own job. Um, But it's just funny because, like, you know, even now... Well, it's not funny. It's pretty fucked up. Even now, like, I was at one point working for three months over 60 hours a week and still not able to save any kind of money because all the extra money I had, I was like, oh, cool, I finally get to fix my car, get this thing done, pay this bill, get my... You know, I was going to school, so let me, you know buy all my textbooks and shit like that so that money just went that money went gone you know my savings account isn't any bigger because of it so like even working my ass off it doesn't fucking matter um I can't make enough money in uh, anymore you know so even that mentality is you know gone has no ground to stand on it never really did but my point being those folks, right, taught me how shit changes. You want shit to change, go make it change. That's pretty fucking true. Um, it's not true in the sense of you want to make a million dollars, go put in hard work. But this is where it translates over. And this is what really fucked with me my whole childhood. And then we're going to get into my experience with organizing. I wanted to tell you this to, you know, just kind of give you a summation as to why I might not have cared for the longest time. Uh, My folks were super Protestant, as I said. So a majority of my life, um, I understood that people have it bad, you know, Christians, especially evangelicals, they love milking that missionary train. So they, you know, show you all these awful videos of children all over the world dying from starvation And they go, okay, now give us money so we can go over there and build churches. Um, And, like, as much as, you know, I was a kid, I mean, this shit never added up to me. I was never able to really get down with Christianity. Like, I tried really hard when I was a kid, like 10, 11, 12. I used to go to, like, summer camp every single summer, sing about Jesus, um, and, like... I loved the shit. Like, I, dude, that was where all my friends were at. But, like, at the same time, like, all my counselors and shit would try to get me to, like, pray and, you know, lead worship and stuff. Like, it, I can never get down with it because, like, it never clicked in my head. The whole time I, quote, unquote, believed in God, in the back of my head, I was like, this shit doesn't make any fucking sense. And, like, that was a huge problem, you know, obviously growing up in a very Christian household. So, like, I was always kind of the, the quote-unquote, outcast, as in I never got down with Christianity like a lot of my other family is. Or even pretend, like, I couldn't even pretend. Like, a lot of my family pretends I can't do that shit. Like, it it bothers me. <laughs> it just gets on my nerves trying to fake for people. I don't, I don't really... I've never been able to do that. I don't know if it's, like, I don't have the energy, I don't care, or what, but, like, never been able to fake for folks like that. That's why, for the longest time, if I didn't give a fuck about something, I didn't give a fuck about something. You know what I'm saying? And, again, why I wasn't organizing. But, oddly enough, because Christians also have to get you in that soft spot right under your heart, right where your wallet is, 
sometimes they fuck up and actually get you in the heart. And, you know, empathy to me was the one thing that ever really clicked from my grandma and from my mom and also my papa who like genuinely cared about people but then fucked it all up because they turned that energy into like praising God and then they never spent any time going out and doing anything for the betterment of others. So it was just hypocritical, you know? But still, the words always resonated with me. Um, I actually quite enjoyed as a kid some of like the parables like the parable of the lost sheep um that actually like is pretty monumental and a lot of like my influence of my character for those of you who don't know uh it's really not important it just basically the whole story is like hey you should care about people even if they don't do what you want them to do um so like that was you know <laughs> growing up christian that's pretty fucking monumental to your wor- worldview. Uh, and so, like, you, I had, I had facilitated this mindset, right? All of a sudden, my whole life has been structured in this way. My head and my feelings and my heart all kind of, like, went down the same track as my folks. Even, even though I couldn't fuck with Christianity, I also grew up in a very racist household. So I was pretty racist into my late teens, Um, I grew up in a very transphobic household. I was very transphobic. Well, I was definitely actively transphobic. I never really spoke out about it. But, like, I was transphobic until my late teens. Um, I still am dealing with, you know, a lot of internalized, like, white supremacy and uh, heteropatriarchy. Because that's also, again, the world we live in. So even though I'm very against obviously those things I still live in a society which supports them and is built on them and therefore if I slip for a second and stop caring I can fall right back into that hole of just going along with it because for us white cishet men it's super easy to give a fuck about communism and socialism and other people until that check comes running or until our personal lives are better because everything else is taken care of for white cishet men. So that is why time and time again, white leftists become white chauvinists because they only actually care about themselves down to their core. If you're not actively fighting that as a white cisgender heterosexual man in a white supremacist hetero patriarchal society, It doesn't matter how much of a quote-unquote good person you are. Down to your core, it's very easy to slip into those beliefs because your entire world supports it. So going into organizing, that was kind of the mindset that I had for most of my life. It's why I never got involved in a lot of shit that I probably could have gotten involved in. It's why I never got you know, really interested in politics other than like, oh, I wish Bernie Sanders would become president so I could have free college. Um, it's why I never really did much in my own personal life. I never focused on building relationships. I never focused on how can I help others. It was always how can others help me. I was a very, and still can be a very selfish person. Um, but I think that the difference is when I got involved in really diving into theory about a year and a half ago, 
And then when I really recently, about six months ago, six, seven months ago, began, you know, different types of attempts to organize, I really began to learn very quickly a few things. Um, First and foremost, don't trust everyone who says that they care. Um, Folks, if you, you don't even need to be an astute Marxist to recognize revisionism or reformism, right? As a working class person, we recognize, right, that we are suppressed underneath the rule of another. Anything that is put as a, quote, solution to that, that doesn't eradicate the overarching control that then that power above us has, it is revisionism. It is reformism. It is appealing to the people who have been in power and who have been oppressing us for this long and asking them to stop. On top of this, another thing that I've learned, a lot of solidification of kind of your ideals can come from just going and trying to organize with people because there are a lot of folks out there, especially in the U.S., who are organizing for some pretty fucked up reasons to get attention for themselves, to make money, to, you know, gain political or social, you know, power. That can't be what organizing is about, right? Because to its core, what we're working on in our attempts to organize should be the revocation, the taking away of the power from the people who are oppressing. Anything else, just simply trying to grab power for ourselves in any way, shape, or form, like ourselves, not our collectives, is opportunism. It is an attempt to appeal for a seat at the table. And we should be flipping the table over, lighting that shit on fire, and taking the folks out who are at the table. Um, Because they're killing millions of billions of people all over the world right now. So, another thing that I learned in organizing, and then I think we will go a little bit into my actual experiences. um, I had a high hope. Right, And I think a lot of folks who spend a lot of time in the books uh, read in theory. This is why theory is good, right? But theory on its own is absolutely fucking useless. As uh, David on Mark's Madness always says, uh, theory on its own is useless. uh, And organizing without theory is rudderless. It will go nowhere. Um... So as good as it is to get your face down in in some theory and read and learn some lessons, if you're just taking those lessons and, you know, using them to make your head big and make you feel like you're somehow smarter than other people, that's not the point of theory. And honestly, you might as well put down the book and go actually talk to some people if they still want to talk to you. Because at that point, you know, again, you're doing it opportunistically. You're doing it to make yourself look better or quote-unquote be better than other people and that's totally not what anything 
that Marxism is or communism or even anarchism should be in that case. Um, it's just simply not. We do this for the betterment of other people, right? So, another thing that, like, really led me down this this train of organizing is just... You know, obviously, one thing is, like, recognizing that at the beginning of the pandemic and still now, our governments do not fucking care, honestly, about shit getting better for us. They don't care about whether or not we're safe from the virus. They don't fucking care if y'all got your vaccines. We can't even ask people in stores, you know, where's your vaccine card? Oh, that's a HIPAA law violation. We can't even ask people to wear masks. We can't do shit because all these stupid motherfuckers in the United States and other where that want to think about their own selves, want to think about how they, you know, feel. Oh my goodness, I'm so sick and tired of wearing the mask. Hey, how would you take that mask and choke on it, you stupid asshole? Because that's what people are doing who, because you don't wear the mask, they are dying. So I don't really give a fuck about people not wanting to wear a mask in the slightest. Like, don't care at all. Um, and you know, that's, that's reminiscent of what really led me down the path towards radicalization because God, am I mad about how many fucking stupid people live on this planet, but it's not even their stupidity that bothers me. It's the fact that they are able to be stupid, that they are made stupid. And then the powers that be obviously benefit from that. So then they're like, yeah, take your mask off. That's fine. No, it's fine. You don't want to wear it. Stop. Come on now. It's been long enough. It's been long. Just take the darn thing off. It's fine. Like, Jesus Christ. And, you know, what's really sent me down that path then is in my local area, right? There was someone who got in contact with me about an opportunity to go around and start helping advocate for the vaccine, right? We were going to go down, we were going to knock on some doors, ask folks, you know, do you need help getting a vaccine appointment set up? Do you want to know any information about the vaccine? Can we get some folks to come down here and give you a vaccine, you know, for folks who are immobile or, you know, for uh, whatever reason, can't leave the house or don't want to? Um, And that was through a few different organizations in my area and kind of through a grant. So you got a whole nonprofit sitch set up, right? Another form of organizing that I've taken part in is uh, there's a group from my hometown called Copper City Collective who I got involved with um, and honestly only did one event before I recognized that like they didn't A, know what they were doing not just like on some like oh y'all are disorganized shit because I don't know what I'm doing but on some they were flying an American flag so they don't know what they're doing and I had some conversation with a few of the members uh, in leadership and you know a lot of their understandings you know one of them uh, went into a tirade about as to why uh, Cuba was far more authoritarian and dictatorial and oppressive to the working class than the United States ever has been. Um, 
believe it or not, this person was a white cisgender male. Would you look at that? Um, you, you know, the person that I talked to about the American flag when I got there, I walked up and I pointed to the flag because it was hanging on the side of our tent. And I was like, what's up with the firewood being up on the, being up on the fucking tent? She didn't get it, of course. So I was like, why are we flying the American flag? And she literally was like, oh, don't get started with that shit. They want to claim that this is their country, but this is our country too. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, First and foremost, my friend, this is a settler colonial society. This is most definitely not our country. It's not their country either, but it's not our country. This is indigenous land. This is Turtle Island. Take that goddamn American flag down. And she got a real fucking attitude with me. So, like, I mean, it was just a weird experience. And then I decided from that point on to try to figure out how to distance myself from them, as I kind of have to this point. Um, But, you know, what really sent it with me is in the involvement with Copper City Collective, there was huge drama with another organization that that also existed out this way. And when I got involved, it was the first thing that I had to deal with was the drama, right? Uh, It's a year-long drama that had been going on. And I, unfortunately, as well as one of my other friends, kind of lucked into a position of having to fucking deal with it. I'm not going to go into the specifics on the drama or anything like that. But essentially, it's just a lot of he said, she said stuff. But... It is founded on some pretty fucking white chauvinist, racist, opportunist shit that members from the Copper City Collective and their friends have taken part in, in organizing throughout the years. So it's based on the fact that Copper City Collective needs to step the fuck away because they are white chauvinist assholes and no one should trust them. Um... But it's also at this point just a lot of bickering and honestly even like social media stuff um, between the leadership. Uh, So it's just unfortunate because then that doesn't really get us anywhere. It just usually gets us in more arguments online uh, in our own personal lives also, which don't normally go anywhere because neither side is willing to capitulate. Now, I'd like to take a second here to say like I'm not going through all this and using like the actual name of the organization to just be like shitting on people or be like, look at these fucking assholes. You can't let white chauvinism and opportunism like that just happen. You can't not point it out because that is racism, whether it's implicit and, you know, kind of nice racism or not, it's racism. So like these folks need to be put on blast. And I doubt anyone who listens to this will do anything about it because I don't think anyone who listens to this is in my locality. But if they are, don't trust nor work with Copper City Collective. Um, And the reason is because until they get on a more revolutionary line and get rid of their white supremacy and, you know, heteropatriarchy and all that, they're only going to hurt people. They're only going to use people. They're only going to do things for their own benefit. And then as soon as it goes against what they actually want, you know, it's going to go south. Um, And people are going to get hurt one way or another. Um, 
On top of that, you know, I kind of bring it up because it goes along with what I'm talking about. So those are kind of my two, to this point, like, quote unquote, bad experiences with organizing. Um, And the first one is a bad experience that I'm still really going through with the vaccine outreach thing, because I went into it. And from the get-go, nobody knew what they were doing. This is a huge undertaking, right? You know, let's take grant money and in a municipal area of 70000 let's go around into a highly conservative, highly anti-vax area and try to convince people to get the vaccine. That's a huge undertaking. That's going to take months. That's going to take money. That's going to take people, right? Yeah, no, we got three employees that we're allowed to hire. And we have eight weeks. It has been five weeks. And I've clocked less than 12 hours going out. It is so insanely disorganized. And so incredibly about money. That you, there's nothing you can do. And this is the issue with some large organizations. And especially always the issue with nonprofits. Because at the end of the day, a nonprofit is a business. A 501c has to keep its doors open, right? It can't just simply be good for good's sake. Otherwise, it would just be people doing good. But the fact that it formulates itself into an organization like that is because it is expecting to make money or at least attempting to. Um, Not necessarily from the get-go for the sake of I'm a selfish piece of shit who only cares about money, but eventually once you develop yourself into that organizational strategy, you have a business now. And if your business closes, there goes your ability to help people because of the way you structured yourself. And this drives us directly into... uh, my point about why organizing properly is important. So I'm reading a book, which I've mentioned a few times now, called Continuity and Rupture by J. Malfouad Paul. Uh, And the reason why I think this book kind of brought me to this point and why it's so relevant to this conversation is because It is making the argument to say that Maoism is the next scientific continuity and rupture from Marxism to become now Marxism-Leninism, Maoism, right? And in its explanation of this point, it has gone through explicitly, the difference being almost, you know, almost tied directly to the organizational strategies and theories that each, uh, you know, version, quote unquote, each each update of Marxism has, um, you know, Marxism originally just believed in the, you know, propagandizing and agitating for conscious uh, making of the working class. Marxism Leninism believed that the people wouldn't become conscious uh, quick enough so that they uh, developed the theory of the vanguard. But then you have built into the theory of the vanguard. A contradiction which JMP goes through in this book, which oftentimes makes it makes it incapable or impossible for the vanguard, the folks who are a part of the vanguard, to actually develop themselves into a proletarian uh, and working class 
body because a lot of them come from non-working class positions such as academics, um, middle class folks, and basically anyone, especially today, who has the time to dedicate to studying Marxism and to, you know, having the money to buy books and not have to be spending all your time making money, you know, it, it does take a certain amount of privilege, especially, you know, existing in the first world might be one of them, um, which causes, you know, it, it's, you know, and this is the reason why ideology is also important, is it causes a necessity for one to be militant in forcing themselves to understand a little bit of the bigger picture and see that, you know, it's not like we were talking about before. It's not just the white man's struggle that's important. It's not just the white working class's struggle that's important. Um, but if you live in a society that makes you think that and you don't battle that out with inside yourself, I mean, what's going to stop you from believing that? Definitely not your ruling class who is white supremacist and heteropatriarchal and benefits directly from it. Um, but yeah, so built right into a lot of the germs, a lot of the seeds of what these different theories were are different organizational strategies which make or break the ability for these strategies to succeed. You know, Marxism worked versus anarchism because of its organizational strategies. However, Marxism ended failing and leading to many different problems because it didn't have as much of a scientific understanding of what was to come next. You know, you had the Paris Commune, but when you had the Paris Commune, you didn't have folks who knew then what to do from that point. They had established the Paris Commune, but then in a lot of cases, they were like, uh, what now? So because of that, they ended up getting taken over and killed by the French armies and the, the Prussian armies. If you're not understood in your ideological goal, you are doomed to hesitation. You are doomed to miscommunication. You are doomed to a lot of momentary lapses in judgment, which cannot happen, especially in the circumstances we're talking. I mean, you overthrow a government, that, that government tomorrow is coming back with three times as many guns, missiles, and people. If you don't know what the fuck to do, you and all your homies are getting killed, straight up. Like, that's that's why this shit is important. Because if we're talking organizing and we're talking Marxism, we're talking organizing to build a revolution. We're talking organizing to build the dictatorship of the proletariat and the overthrow of the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie. Uh, that is the theory of Marxism. So... Maoism, which, you know, this book makes the argument is the next continued um, line of science in the progression of Marxism, of revolutionary science. Um, and that is because um, it, according to the way that JMP frames it, and this is the argument, which, you know, if you want to, you can go ahead and read the book yourself. 
I might have him on to try to do a discussion about this if I can. Um, I had him on to talk about the communist necessity a while back, and that was a great episode, so I'd love to have him on again. Um, But essentially, you have a progression, right? Again, like I said, Marxism believed, let's make these people conscious. Leninism believed that theory isn't going to work well enough. We got to do something a little bit more intelligent, a little bit more organized. It can't be so spontaneous and it can't be so reckless. It has to be organized and it has to be working and functioning in a specific manner um, so as to make sure that it works properly, right? And then from there, you have Maoism. So what's the difference in Maoism? Well, Maoism recognizes inherently that contradiction that we were talking about that appears in the Leninist structure that leads to a separation between the true proletariat within the organization, the true working class people, and the folks who fall into leadership positions, take up control from within the party, or you know are a part of the structure from the beginning, and are those intelligentsia type, academic type, like Richard Wolff, who tell us that, you know, it's the unions that'll do it. It's the, yeah, that the last time that worked uh, was before the turn into the 1900s. So, I mean, our government is so, and so are the governments all over the world. They are so ready to put down an insurrection, which is another theory that Maoism recognizes and formulates instead in its place the protracted people's war. But I I don't have time or expertise to get into that. I just wanted to mention it here. Um, Maoism corrects the problems of the vanguard and through the contradictions of the Leninist party, through the use of the mass line, um, as well as, you know, the cultural revolution. Um, These are things which take the very people themselves who are in these positions of suffering and put them into positions of power. Um, you know, it's not just the intelligentsia coming down and asking the people what they want and then trying to f- uh, facilitate that. It's them coming down, asking the people what they want, going back to the party, seeing if that's a possible strategy, seeing how it could be done, going back to the masses and saying, let's do it. That's the theory of the mass line, basically. And that's the difference between Maoism and Leninism, because Leninism very, very often left all the decision-making to the Soviets. And although the Soviets were in their germ form made up of the people, that was not always the case. Um, and even when it was, those people get lost in the, the quote, you know, we call it bureaucracy, but it was mostly just a, a, a non-involvement with the direct action and with the people themselves um, that led to this quote-unquote bureaucracy, not some kind of innate or impossible-to-overcome problem of Marxism, because Maoism directly overcame this. Um, And so we have to recognize then that at this point, this is not a discrediting of Marxism. It's a pointing out of the incorrect analysis of certain strategies and tactics from within Marxism. Because Marxism, to its core, is a self-critiquing science. 
we talked about it in the last episode. Marxism, in comparison to other theories of the left, is scientific in nature because it is an experimentation process that it is trying to facilitate. It builds a revolution, which is the experiment, within society, which is the laboratory. And then it takes the lessons from that experiment into the real world and into its own theories and says what worked and what didn't. It says, you know, the the people aren't, you know, able to become conscious quickly enough. We have to devise a plan to really, you know, agitate from within and organize the people into a much more um, kind of strategic, and I'll use that very word again, militant uh, formulation. And then from there, Marxism says, well, wait a minute, no, because see what happens now is these folks get very dogmatic, they get very set in their ways, they start believing that it's truly them who is the vanguard, not the people. Um, they start believing that it's truly them who will see the revolution through, not the people. Um, and ultimately, they're going against Marxism because they are not basing all of their strategies in a lot of cases in reality. Because after a certain point, it's like, well, I'm right. So whatever I say is intelligent. And if you're not constantly going back to that Marxism, you're not constantly going back to that scientific process of if this fails, let's try to experiment again. You're just simply going dogmatically and you're watching yourself run in circles fail time and time again because I don't know if any of you folks played Far Cry, but where I learned this, it's Far Cry, the definition of insanity, according again to Far Cry, is that you try to do something time and time again and expect a different result, right? That's quote unquote insanity to a very simplistic definition. That is what just about every theory on the left tells us that we should do, is do something that worked or didn't work at one time that we have the history to be able to learn from, and just try it again. Just do the same exact thing again, as if our government, you know, doesn't have access to the same history books that we do, and like our government wasn't the reason why we've been put down time and time again. To the core of the, you know, theory of insurrection is a contradiction which is incapable to come over, which is the ruling class is ready. They've been ready. That's why they're militarizing. That's why they're spending all their money on guns and missiles and fucking armies and militaries and shit. It's because they're <laughs> they're either going to kill us or they're going to kill each other. Um the point is just kind of whoever raises a gun at them first. Um, that doesn't mean that they're going to be successful, but that is what they're going to try to do. Um, and I don't really have a solution for that except for, you know, the exact solution that was led to at another point, which is if your, you know, if your country is trying to lead to imperialist war, or war, you know, through economic sanctions as well, you have to 100% turn that war into a civil war. You have to turn the anger and repression and the, you know, because a lot of what we are able to capitalize on 
and as to why um, you see, you know, this ideology influence working class people who send their kids off to war, who, you know, are incredibly poor, but yet somehow still support, you know, ending welfare or cutting Social Security or this, that and the other thing is because, you know, you have this very, very overwhelming ideology, also known as hegemony, uh, that controls very, very well the minds of the people here in the U.S. We are consistently and constantly in every media that we consume propagandized to. We're brainwashed or attempted to be. Um, And some of us, like myself, watches our families fall deeper and deeper and deeper into that brainwashing and has to pull themselves out piece by piece. And others get brainwashed themselves, you know? And it's, it's so sad to see all the fucking good people who support this country, who say awfully racist things, who say awfully discriminatory and, you know, terrible things, who want to go to war, who hate poor people, who you know, talk all this shit about people who are in the same situations that they themselves are in, but, you know, they don't want to acknowledge that. Um, It's because of the hegemony that's here. The ruling class ideology is able to overcome because they are in control of all the media. They are in control of all the education. They are in control of all of the ways in which society is formulated and and kind of... uh, facilitated. The reason that we go to work every day, the reason that we go to school, the reason why we pay bills, the reason why we have to, you know, do this, that, the other thing is because they said so. They structured the society and you and I live in it. Oh man, they gave me the wrong kind of a bagel. Shit. Whatever. Um, sorry. (laughs) I'm not going to cut that. I don't do edits. Sorry. Um, But yeah, I mean, like, you can't expect then that that government that is oppressing you, you know, you don't find your emancipation in your oppressor. You just don't. Um, And that's why the need for organization is there. And we can't just so easily structure our things and, like, saying that we have to have an organization. We have to spend a lot of time dedicating to studying different Marxist, socialist uh, organizations all over the world. We have to dedicate our time to studying theory, to studying philosophy, to studying sociology, to military tactics, political and economic strategies. Like, And that's what Marxism is, is a summation of that knowledge to the point that Marx and Engels had it. From there, Marxism-Leninism is a summation plus the answers come to by the Soviet revolution, as well as through the philosophizing and dedication that Lenin spent uh, you know, pro- progressing his own understandings in order to educate and agitate from within and, and again, you know, with the people to try to get them to become class conscious. Um, and from that point, you have Maoism, which says also, you know, Leninism needs a re a re a rebuffing, you know, and like again, a lot of folks will say. Oh, doesn't that prove that Marxism is wrong or try to wage it in the sense that, you know, look at all these failures that the Soviet Union, this is what our country does. Look at all the uh, failures the Soviet Union came to. Look at all the failures that China has come to. Da, 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 da. 
how can you support communism and socialism still? Because that's not... You don't cook a bad egg and go, geez, how the fuck do you eat eggs still? You Look at how shit that egg is. You made... Wow, what a fucking shitty egg you made. It's like, okay, first of all, fuck you. Second of all, I'm going to try to cook another egg. Is that okay? Because I still like eggs. We should be, <laughs> we should be like that with Marxism, right? Like, Marxism is a a self-critique in theory. It goes from within itself and it builds itself up through continuity and rupture, through breaking away from incorrect analysis and working towards correct analysis. Um, Because of that, we will see in the very few upcoming years, depending on how well we organize, uh, changes one way or the other in Israel, in Egypt, in, uh, you know, Russia, in America, the United States, that is, Latin America, in Africa, all these oppressive regimes are going full fascist. They're fucking murdering people in the streets on open camera, like, with no fucking care or concern about it. And nothing's getting done about it. You know, surprisingly, uh, the UN isn't doing anything about it, believe it or not. They actually do actively participate in the progression of imperialism. That's why the U.S., France, Britain, um, Japan, and Germany are the five security uh, permanent Security Council members of the UN is because it's actually, just like the League of Nations, just an imperialist organization to do imperialism, quote, peacefully and with the recommendation and acceptance of the rest of the imperialist world. Uh, It's not actually for the benefit of the imperialized or oppressed people. No, of course not. We don't do stuff like that here. So, you know, I mean, it's kind of hard to sum this up because I wanted to talk more, but I'm getting to a point where I actually do need to end this recording, unfortunately. I record while I get ready for work and we're about to open the front door. So, Um, Yeah, I think that really what we need to focus on today, especially in the United States, is beginning to facilitate true working class organizations, right? So by that, I mean, like, not just simply for the working class, but by the working class. The working class people must themselves be directly becoming class conscious, directly becoming involved in the facilitating and building of the organizations. They need to be directly involved in making decisions about how the organization is to progress, about what needs they have, because the organization should exist for the benefit of the working class. Um, And from there, you know, agitate from within and, if necessary, reignite a cultural revolution. Because that was the problem that the Cultural Revolution was able to resolve was this stagnation and this, you know, as we call it today, bureaucracy of not only the Chinese Communist Party, but also all throughout different revolutions, like, for example, in Nepal, in Afghanistan, in India now today, um, they are still waging these struggles against even the socialists and the communists who might have the right things to say, who might even sometimes do the right things on occasion, 
but it's all for a certain goal. It's all for an opportunistic line, and it's all leading towards actual revisionism, away from revolution and away from, you know, proletarian class struggle. So anything that does that, we can't support. We have to work towards true proletarian revolution. We have to work towards uh, a true people's liberation and emancipation. And it is only the working class people themselves who can free the working class. It is only the people themselves who can liberate and emancipate themselves. Um, It cannot and will not ever be anyone except for the very people themselves who are in the positions of suffering who need to see their world change. Um, Because otherwise people are going to take half measures. And there can be no half measures. There can be no kneecapping in a revolution. There just can't be. So if you're still listening to this, thank you. I appreciate you. Um, Hello, Mr. CIA officer. I used the word revolution quite a few times, so I'm expecting to hear from you soon. Um, I love you. Uh, Glad glad to know you still care about me. Um, But yeah, no, I'm just playing around. Uh, If you're still listening, I appreciate you for real. Uh, If you don't mind, um, I'm trying to get this shit, you know, a little bit bigger, right? I want more people listening. I want to be able to educate more people. And I want to turn this into something more than just me talking on a podcast. I wanted this to be a beginning to something else, you know? So if anyone would be so willing to go on to Apple Podcasts and to please rate me a five-star show, and then leave a comment. If you do this, because of the way that podcasting apps work, it pushes me forward in the algorithm. So when people search certain keywords, my podcast will show up more likely than it would have before. So because of that, I get more viewers, and because of that, I dedicate more time to educating more people, which is what we're here to do. So if you could do that, it would really mean the world. If not, that's cool. Um, please follow me on all my social medias. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and Twitter at In Defense of Liberation. And if you want to reach out for any reason whatsoever, you can email me, In Defense of Liberation, no caps, no spaces, at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, folks, and we will speak next time. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay revolutionary. Bye now.